0: The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves.
1: We are ready to go for another weekend. Good to be back with you here for the preview. I am the somewhat capable host. We have an interesting heavyweight double header, kind of a, a switch on the card back about three weeks ago, but still could be a very compelling main event for top-ranked boxing involving F.A. Jogba, Stefan Shaw, as those guys get ready to do battle in uh, Verona, New York, Tony's Turning Storm Resort. First top-ranked card of the year. We're ready to preview that. But first, some news and more. Hello, Dan Rayfield, our insider, our uh, content partner from Fight Freaks Unite, his Substack and Big Fight Weekend's website. Good to be back with you here in the preview mode. Some news of the week to get to. How are you feeling as we head towards the
0: weekend? Hello, T.J. Reeves. I'm feeling good. I'm looking forward to... a uh, uh- some I, what I hope will be some at least pretty solid, a uh, couple solid heavyweight fights we have on deck Saturday.
1: Hey, whenever it's the heavyweights, we seem to have much more interest. We got news about Usyk and Tyson Fury that I think may encourage some people. We got these fights. I even got mesmerized earlier in the day, and it's not even an anniversary on George Foreman. It was something having to do with Foreman's birthday earlier in the week. Foreman Ron Lyle, and the closing <laughs> round of that fight, dear Jesus. Uh, Not just the closing round, TJ. It's the whole damn fight. I'm just saying the closing round mesmerized me uh, with Howard Cosell on the call of Foreman and uh, Ron Lyle. So something about the heavyweights is all I'm saying uh, that gets us rolling and gets us off and going. By the way, thank you for finding us. As I always say, however you found us, social media link, Dan Substack, BigFightWeekend.com. You can always follow or subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And look – uh, a lot of podcasters say this. A lot of shows say this. Thank you to the audience. More and more of you are finding us. We see that in the November and December growth and again here in January. And I I really believe, Dan, while we're here on the subject just for one second, the bigger fights make a difference. And we saw another rise in audience here in January uh, because of the Gervonta Davis pay-per-view, the result, the, the recap, et cetera. So thank you to the peeps. Thank you to the, to the savages, finding us, following, subscribing, staying with us because we see the audience. We see the audience uh, that is there. And the reason they want to follow and subscribe, because
0: why? Because for the podcast, why? Well, I mean, if they do subscribe, and I hope they do, and I hope they'll leave a, a glowing review of us on Apple uh podcast, but they'll get a bell, a banner, a ding, a buzz, a vibration. Right. I, think I you covered a, it I all. You're going to you're going to get that automatically.
1: And here's the good thing. As we go along here, January turns to February. Whenever we score interviews, special content, different things, you won't have to be alerted to that with a social media link or a web post. You're going to get what Dan just described automatically telling you there's something new on the podcast feed for Big Fight Weekend, whether it's the preview. We're typically here on Friday morning. Overnight Thursday into Friday morning, so you get set for the weekend. And then we're typically here again off the weekend, late night Sunday, Monday at some point, Monday morning, ish. You're getting the the weekend recap, the Fight Freaks Unite recap, uh show. And uh again, the 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 audience continues to grow. They're satisfied with what we're doing. We're going to keep delivering. Preview mode, recap mode, and there's a lot to talk about. All right, news first. Uh, some interesting news on a couple of fronts. First of all. The IBF, as uh, world boxing organizations are prone to do, says, "Okay, wait a minute. Now uh, now we're not going to order. We're not going to mandate that Alexander Usyk fight uh, Philip Hergovich, their number one contender. And instead, we will step aside and allow potentially the undisputed fight with WBC champion Tyson Fury to happen for Usyk. All right, Dan Rayfield, some uh, some positive news there that we're headed towards maybe an undisputed fight because the IBF says we're not going to stand in the way. Well, it wasn't quite Go ahead. that. It was Set it straight, then.
0: I'll set it straight. I mean, they did say that that now Husik does not have to next make the mandatory against Hergovic. They rescinded that order. Uh, the president of the IBF, Daryl Peoples, uh, has been discussing this with the different parties involved. Sent a letter to uh, Nisi Sauerland, who is one of the promoters from Wasserman Boxing, that is the co-promoter of Hergovich, along with uh, Eddie Hearn from Natural Boxing. They also copied. Uh, like his uh, lawyer and whatever, like four or five other people from the organization. But it wasn't because they were just being good guys about it. What happened was the IBF had ordered the elimination fight, if you recall, that took place a few months ago between Hergovich and uh, Zhang Zelai. And Hergovich won the fight, which made him the IBF's number one and mandatory contender. And they ordered the fight, but they made a mistake. And this was an honest mistake, I believe. This is nothing that they were trying to do or get over anybody. When that was ordered, soon after, WBA President Gilberto Mendoza, who has... You know, all the presidents of the organizations, they are, uh, you know, have friendly relationships and they, they converse with each one another. Uh, the WBA informed the IBF that they had made a mistake and that the WBA mandatory was up next. And the reason for that is because years ago, the organizations adopted what is called in the business. Um, they adopted what is called the rotation, uh, the rotation system to determine the order if there's a unified champion of who's next up in the mandatory uh, order. So usually the organizations require, you know, a year between mandatories. Obviously, if you've got a champion with multiple titles, it, it often is going to be longer than that because they have other obligations to fulfill. So they arranged it so they would go in order. The WBA is next up in the rotation for the heavyweight division, not the IBF. Uh, that was pointed out to Daryl Peoples and his team at the IBF. And they realized, yes, we made an error where we apologize. And so therefore, uh, they informed uh, the Hergovich and the and, and everybody involved that in fact you are no longer having to do that mandatory you're not up next wba is so that hurdle is cleared the wbc which is tyson theory's title he just made a mandatory against dillian white earlier or uh, you know in the, in the spring of last year they're not going to stand in the way no issue the ibf is acknowledging by their letter that they are not next and they're not standing in the way the wbo mandatory has been fulfilled a couple of fights ago when anthony joshua had the first fight against Usyk. They're not going to stand in the way, and the WBA, which is up next, Daniel Dubois is the mandatory challenger as the regular title holder. But a, he's injured, and b, he is promoted by Frank Warren, who also promotes Frank uh, Tyson Fury, and yep. they're not. He's not going to. They're not going to stand in the way. They're willing to stand aside and let the other fight take place. So there is now no issue as far as if and when Fury and Usyk is signed sealed and delivered which everybody expects it will be in the not too distant future that it will allow for all four title belts to be at stake it'll be the first time obviously in the four belt era uh, that the winner of that fight will emerge as the undisputed champion so that is a good thing and then the ibf also explained in their ruling what the timing will be for their mandatory it was you know not to get into the weeds but it was a certain amount of time after the wba mandatory takes place which is you know, the bottom line is Philip Hergovich is looking at at least a year until his mandatory fight.
1: And and the complication with Dubois is it's not a simple injury. It's an ACL injury. They've become more routine in the rehab, but they still take time. If this is a full ACL tear for him in that fight that he had on the undercard of uh, Fury's win December 3rd over Derek Chisora, if, if that is – I mean, if he had the surgery, let's say, late December, early January, that's easily this summer, July, August, before he can really start to train again. So you're not talking about to the fall anyway
0: for him. But if the injury is that and bad, so- I mean, the, the W.A. is not going to wait around for Dubois. They'll bypass him and they'll go to somebody else. That's the way so they, they work. I mean, guys have been stripped because they're injured. They're not going to worry. I mean, they're not going to do it haphazardly. But if it comes to the point of view where he's not going to be available, they'll move on to the next guy. And, uh, uh you know, our good buddy, Daniel Dubois, unfortunately, will be kind of shit out of luck. Well, we'll
1: see what happens with
0: his rehab and with the but timeline. But this is good for
1: boxing. This is a good thing. I agree. I I said on my wish list to you, like, uh, two shows ago, we were talking about wishes in 2023. I said, point blank to the man, to the man, Dan Rayfield, can I get this before July 1st? And I fully expected you to swat me and say, no, it's going to be August or September. But instead, you said the opposite. You said, I believe you're going to get this before July 1st.
0: You still feel that way.
1: I can tell by your
0: expression. not a matter of feeling that way. I mean, unless something... Crazy happens, which hey, it's boxing. Crazy mm-hmm. shit happens all the time. But this fight, not forget about July. This fight is gonna happen probably before May.
1: Depending on one variable, Fury's elbow, did he have elbow surgery? And you qualified that, and we've talked about that. We don't know.
0: Because I don't know. That if could he's delay had it beyond. The I actually need to make a couple calls and see if he's had it cleaned up. But even if he has had the surgery, it's not the type of injury that's gonna prevent him from fighting for for months and months and months, it's going to be obviously a few weeks of rehab and, and rest and that sort of thing. But eventually he'll be okay to go and he'll be able to get back in the ring. It's a, uh, you know, just to clean up some debris, I believe in the elbow, which should not um, preclude him from participating in a fight, you know, in the latter part of the spring. So, uh, fingers crossed that they get their deal done, but, uh, I have spoken to both sides, uh, you know, in the not too recent past and, you know, they keep saying the same thing, which is we are making this fight and now there is no, uh, uh, There's nothing holding it back. There's no promotional entanglements. There's no television broadcaster entanglements. There's no issues with sanctioning bodies. That is now that final hurdle with the IBF has been handled. So it's just down to normal business. I don't think there's an argument about what the split of the money is. It's a matter of now let's figure out what's the best date for everybody's partners and everybody's, uh, you know, what's the best date for a proposed venue. We have to match the venue with the broadcaster, but it's going to be a pay-per-view. So they don't even have to really worry so much about matching a date with a, with a, with a broadcaster because pay-per-view, they can go whenever. And uh, look, this fight will happen again. Everybody just needs to stay patient. But I, uh, you know, me, I'm the ever uh, the ever pessimist on these types of big fights. This one, if it doesn't happen, I I really can't understand why it wouldn't happen. There's literally no problems with either side. They both want it. The promoters want it. The TV wants it. There, you know, there, there's no issue. So, you know, I think they'll get it done. It's just, you got to go through the process. That's all.
1: I'm with you. You're not just a pessimist. You're a realist. You understand this. You've been covering it for 20 years. I've been in and around it for 40 years and and I'm with you until they've almost until they've gotten in the ring. Forget about if it's signed or there's a press conference almost until they get in the ring, but there's a lot of motivation on both sides to have that happen. All right. More news. We are getting to the top rank show in a little bit here with fight previews, but we're covering some other news. Uh, Lee Wood will defend the WBA featherweight title. Mauricio Laura. Uh, will be the opponent. You've got a date. You've got a location that you've come up with as well. Uh, this will be a matchroom boxing show. Give us more here. Wet the appetite for
0: February, please. Go. Sure. So, so that fight will take place on February 18th uh, on Zone at the Motor Point Arena, which is in uh, Lee Woods' hometown of Nottingham, England. And if you remember, uh, this was the fight that matchroom and, and everybody there wanted to make when there was still all the stuff going on about whether or not there was going to be Uh, a forced fight between lee wood then the wba secondary champion of the featherweight division and leo santa cruz at that time the super champion and we've we've covered that ground a million times here so we don't have to labor that point but once uh the rubber hit the road so to speak uh and leo santa cruz vacated Mm -hmm. and it, it left the wba with just lee wood as the only title holder in the featherweight division that allowed him to be free and clear and room to go make the fight that they wanted to make, which is a good fight. Lee would against, against Mauricio Lara. He's a, it should be an action fight. Lee has not had a fight since the uh, tremendous battle he had last year with uh, Michael Conlon that resulted in uh, the knockout of the year for sure. When he, when he ejected Michael from the ring in the final round with about, you know, uh, what a minute or so a minute and a half left in the fight. Uh, many outlets uh, awarded that particular fight as the fight of the year. And now Mauricio Lara, who was known, he had no problem going to England where he had the big upset victory by knockout against Josh Warrington. Yep. Uh, and so now he's headed back there to get a shot at this title. And I think that's a hell of a main event and uh, it may not be a mega fight, but if you, you like boxing, Lee Wood against Mauricio Lara is a fight you want to watch. That's a damn good fight. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. That should be uh, an exciting atmosphere because the folks in Nottingham are going to turn out. I can say this. I have covered a fight in Nottingham years ago. I was there, uh, when uh, Carl Frotch knocked out Luchin Butte to regain the IBF super middleweight title. And they didn't do it in the not in the uh, motor point arena. They did it in a, it was like an, like like an 8,000 seat, um, what was also an ice skating rink. But it was mm. a nice arena, but small. But it was one of the most incredible atmospheres I have ever been in in my entire career. I've covered a gazillions of fights. And uh, I'll never forget that. And if, if this this arena where they're going to have this fight, where he also fought Michael Conlon, you know, is twice the size. Uh, It's going to be an incredible atmosphere that night, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a good match. All right, good
1: on that one. Uh, We get some other news rolling as well going down the list here. Robert Diaz, no longer with Golden Boy Boxing, uh, the matchmaker, one of the senior vice presidents. Uh, When I saw that, when I saw you uh, post that on social media and write a little blurb about it, that surprised me. So the question to you, did, did that come as a surprise to
0: you as well Absolutely, that they appointed yes. company? That surprised not only myself, uh, I think it surprised a lot of people in this boxing business. Uh, Robert Diaz is a very well-respected guy. I've known Robert since, I mean, my whole career, basically. I think I first met him you know, in the early days when I was writing at USA Today. When I first met Robert, he was not the Matt Golden Boy didn't exist when I first started. So my introduction to Robert, he was like the right-hand man advisor uh you know set up the camp do everything for marco antonio barrera when barrera was you know one of the top champions in pound for pound fighters in boxing he was like his main guy and uh and then uh, a few years after that he then uh, went to work for golden boy as a matchmaker and he's been an integral part of the company for since i think 2007 when he started so it's been a long a long time for robert he is responsible for uh, the matchmaking. They have another matchmaker, also, but he was doing the primary matchmaking. He also, as I said, he, uh, you mentioned he was one of the vice presidents of the company. He was responsible for dealing a lot with the sanctioning bodies. He dealt a lot with helping recruit fighters that Golden Boy signed, and 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 maintaining the relationships with the fighters and dealing with their managers and just a very well liked and respected guy in the business. And uh, uh, cl- you know, from what I have come to find out, there was clearly some issues uh, that arose for reasons that don't really seem that legit to me between Robert and Oscar De La Hoya, who was of course the uh, owner of the Mm -hmm. company and can, uh, you know, you work it there at his pleasure, I guess. Uh, What people probably don't realize is that Robert Diaz's wife, she is the personal assistant for Canelo Alvarez. And when Golden Boy and and Canelo had their very uh, public and acrimonious falling out, uh, you know, the sort of the joke is Golden Boy got custody of Robert and Canelo got custody of his wife. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and she is listen Canelo and I mean I'm to not to joke around about it but you know she's very well thought of Canelo relies on her for a lot of things relates to you know what he needs right. to be handled. Um there's a there's a person in a similar position at Golden Boy that serves as Oscar's personal assistant to handle all kinds of different things Who I've dealt with for many years and uh, in any event uh, Robert would go to the fights and Oscar maybe uh, just different things arise from those situations. Okay, and without help He doesn't Hel- like that. All
1: right, help me with something. Let's go back to 2019 and the beginning of the end of the Canelo uh, private out-of-the-ring war with Oscar De La Hoya. Wasn't Robert Diaz in charge of whatever the next fight was going to be, and then suddenly the IBF stripped Canelo of his version of the middleweight title? Do I have that correct? And that was the beginning of the problems because Canelo was furious that he got stripped of that IBF belt because he was trying to be undisputed at 160. I remember writing that for the Big Fight Weekend website. Wasn't Robert Diaz involved? And my
0: only thing with that is that's three-plus years yeah, ago I, I on I the friction. a couple things. You may be right about how you just mentioned that, but my understanding is that incident, that issue, is not relevant to the reason that his contract with Golden Boy was not renewed. I texted with Robert uh, a couple of times after the fact, uh, after I had written what I wrote, what I had wrote clear, you know, he confirmed that he is no longer there. And, uh, and, uh, I wished him well, and I hope he stays in boxing. He's uh, whoever, ever winds up, uh, hiring him or working with him, will have somebody that will do a good job for them. Again, he's a very knowledgeable person in boxing. He, he, uh, he's a good matchmaker. And if you watch the golden boy shows, you know, at the moment, they're not blessed with the biggest stable of stars, but I'll say this. If you watch their shows, he does the job, which is, A, he gets his guys the wins that they need to develop, but the fights are entertaining for the fans that turn out, and there are the occasional upsets, obviously. I mean, that's just the way the world goes around. So, again, I wish Robert nothing but the best, and I hope he lands on his feet, And I think, in this business. uh, People know who he is and respect his abilities. He's got a lot of connections, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, Golden Boy is worse off for his absence.
1: Fair enough. As we move along with some news, of the week. Uh, Anthony Joshua is going to be training in the United States. I've seen reports that it's Derek James, potentially as the trainer, uh, Derek James that you've interviewed on the show, Derek James, uh, who has uh Jermell Charlo correct along with Errol Spence. Maybe that's the name, maybe not, but Eddie Hearn did confirm Joshua was coming to the United States to train and they expect to have him back in the ring. Maybe as soon as the first weekend in April, Anything to add to that, Dan Rayfield? Because Joshua was the former unified heavyweight champ. Hearn basically said he needs to get out of England and kind of come over to the United States when he's where he's less well known in an area where he's less well known can focus and can work. I'm paraphrasing what Hearn has said in some interviews. Dan, fill us
0: in some more. Yeah, I mean, I listened to Eddie did an interview with the, the Zone Boxing Show a couple of days ago, and uh, he pinned down the date of April one. Uh, in the UK for his return not no opponents say yet there's been rumors of Demzi McKeon uh, the, the heavyweight from Australia that is with Matchroom who uh, is uh, I guess on the short list of potential opponents but you're right he did talk about the fact that he does need to come to the United States to train because when he's in the UK he is in a fishbowl he is one of the biggest known athletes and stars in the country and he can't do anything without being you know inundated I mean I, I know Anthony appreciates his fans and and, and likes the attention at times, but there's also a time where you have to get down to work. And it's just, as Eddie explained, and I totally agree with him, it's totally different for him to be in the UK than it is to be in the United States. So maybe in there are places in the United States where he would certainly be recognized, but it doesn't mean he can't go and get a cup of coffee or go to the store or go to a restaurant or just take a walk down the, you know, down the block or go to the mall without being, you know, overwhelmed by people, maybe somebody, a couple people, but not like hundreds
1: so that's number so one. So this number may two. be a dumb question. Can I interject? Can he not yeah. find secluded places in England besides populated places that he's been? There's secluded places in England where, if he wanted to go off and be away from everybody to train, I'm talking about for six or eight weeks to get ready for a fight, he could do that. So that's just—it's just interesting to me to say, no. hey, we don't have enough secluded places in England. Go well, to the bigger, better United States and go find no, a secluded I think, place. I think
0: part of it is like, yeah, of course you can always find a secluded place, but he's a normal human being.
1: Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to
0: be secluded for, for all that time. He's even when you're boxing training for a fight, not everybody is best served by going and locking themselves away in big Berry, California for eight weeks. He likes to go get a coffee. He likes to maybe, you know, go with, he's got a child, go with the kid to school or go with him to the mall or drop him off at the movies or whatever it is, or go see his friends. And, you know, in, in the, in the time where he's not in the gym working on his, uh, on his boxing. So, uh, you know, he, you know, if he has any type of, uh, element of being an extrovert he doesn't want to necessarily not be able to walk around or you know go get a sandwich or you know go to some public place go to a movie whatever the case may be so yeah I think it's good for him you get take your mind off of all the pressures at home come here to the United States where you can get great sparring Uh, you mentioned about the possibility of Derek James similar to what Anthony did when he went looking for a trainer the last time when he broke up with uh, Robert McCracken and he came to the United States and he went to a bunch of different gyms and worked out with a variety of different trainers, and ultimately he decided uh that he wanted to hire Robert Garcia. Now, I thought Robert did a g- very good job with him. He fought much better in the rematch against Usyk than he did in the first fa- in the first fight. Uh, Anthony obviously uh, felt like, for whatever reason, he wanted to make another change. Certainly, his prerogative. And Derek James is one of the guys on the short list. Now, I heard that rumor, and I've read that rumor, and seen that rumor, and heard uh, some of the comments from people. I texted Derek James and said, "Hey, what's going on? Are you? Is there anything with you and Joshua?" And he he admits that he is like. A possibility but and i'm paraphrasing because i don't have the text in front of mm-hmm. me he says uh i've heard nothing yet we'll see what happens so clearly he thinks it's a possibility that he will be the trainer for joshua and uh i know he likes anthony's abilities and and uh and and, and maybe what he could do with him and uh Derek james would be a good selection for anybody uh he's obviously proven himself to be you know a great trainer in boxing today he's the trainer of the year in 2022 and and uh he's got big things in front of him i think all right, I don't want to spend 10 more minutes on this because we got a couple other
1: things to move on to, and then we're going to get to the fight previews of a Jogban Shaw in the main event. But can't there be an argument made right now that Anthony Joshua in some ways is lost and is searching for whatever it is? And the reason, let me lay it out for you. He was with Rob McCracken from his time as an amateur gold medalist. McCracken was his trainer all the way through the professional ranks when he won all the titles. So he decides, I don't want to be with McCracken anymore after I lost, at least for now, to uh, Usyk the first time. He goes and auditions these trainers like you're talking about, settles on Robert Garcia, loses again. Now now we're going to the United States to train, and we got to find somebody else. I mean, some of that, isn't there a compelling argument, is he's lost – mentally, I'm talking about right now, not physically, not knowing where he is, but mentally searching, and that's trouble. These are troubling signs that he can't settle on what to do. What do you say to that?
0: I agree. He's at a crossroads in his life as a professional fighter because you can absorb a loss, certainly. You can absorb two losses. The problem is with his expectations for championship fights and major events and the money that goes with that, you kind of can't lose two in a row. It really, I mean, I'm sorry, three in a row would it be if he doesn't win the next fight, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't personally look at it like that. You lost to Usyk, who's going to be a Hall of Famer someday. You fought him much 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 more competitively and better in the second fight. He just couldn't get over the hump. And they're not going to give him a tough fight in this next fight. I mean, trust me, if he fights Dempsey McKean, no offense, but I've watched Dempsey McKean fight. Right. Uh that's not much of a fight. I and mean, McKeon's
1: been a sparring partner with him as well. There's familiarity. This but is- I don't, I
0: don't, listen, if they do the McKeon fight, I don't begrudge Joshua that. I have no problem. Anthony Joshua, you look down his resume, even though he's not been as active as you like him to be, he's fought one tough fight after another for years. Like if your easiest fight, quote unquote, over the last like five years is Kubra Pulev, that's <laughs> still pretty damn solid. I mean, Kubra Pulev, Maybe not be heavyweight champ, but he's a tough out for anybody. Okay. So Joshua never had the chance to continue his development because they got that unexpected shot years ago against Charles Martin for a title. They couldn't turn it down. Once you become the champion and the money becomes so big and the and the events become so big, he's fighting in stadiums one after another. Ninety thousand or you know whatever it was, ninety thousand for the Klitschko fight, and you know eighty thousand at another Wembley fight or where he fought in. In, uh, in the National Stadium in Cardiff, well, you know, 75000 whatever. It's hard to, to turn back. If there's ever going to be a time in his career where he can take a step back and, and, and try to reclaim himself as a fighter and understand who he is as a boxer, you know, it's coming off of these two losses to Usyk. You're not in a championship fight. Um, the fans are still going to turn out for him. Uh, you know, he may not make as much money as he was, but Anthony Joshua has made literally probably – I mean, I'm probably being conservative when he's I, say, oh, I say he's north of a hundred million dollars. That's north of 200 million. There you go. Listen, he made he made probably a hundred million alone, uh, you know, in, in uh, just in the, in the last couple of fights that he had in the championship fights. So, you know, no one's concern for Anthony Josh was financial welfare. This is now about your career, about extending your career, and he needs to win and he needs to find himself. But listen, more than a coach that can give him the X's and O's. It makes me think of my dear departed friend, Emmanuel Stewart, as great of a trainer as Emmanuel was with X's and O's and, and understanding the, all the nuances of strategies of boxing. And I could sit and listen to Emmanuel for talk about that for hours, which I, I did sometimes during the days when he was still around, but Emmanuel to me for all the great technical ability that he had. uh, And I've told this story before, his greatest strength as a trainer was being a psychologist of making sure that his fighters were mentally prepared. So for all the great work he would do with a Klitschko and a Lennox Lewis or a Tommy Hearns or whoever else he was training to get them properly prepared from a physical standpoint, an X and O standpoint, it was getting their mind right. Nobody was more criticized about being perhaps weak of mind than Vladimir Klitschko when he went to Emmanuel after having lost the way he lost in some of those fights. And even in his first fight with Emmanuel Stewart, he lost to Lamont Brewster in a fight where it wasn't because he got knocked out, he got stopped, but it's says he ran out of gas and everybody thought he was having like mental, like he just couldn't get over the hump when he got in some trouble. Emmanuel got him straightened out. He became a very mentally strong fighter. I remember the night before uh, Lennox Lewis fought uh, uh, David Tua in Las Vegas, 2000 mm-hmm. it was the first fight I ever covered in Las Vegas uh, when I was working at USA today. And I remember Emmanuel, And myself and like three or four other writers in the Mandalay Bay, there's like this little lounge right by the elevators. And we sat there for like an hour and he was just shooting the shit with us and talking about the fight. It wasn't like an official interview session. We were just having drinks. And, uh, you know, he looked at his watch after a time and it was probably like maybe 10 o'clock at night. He's like, you know what, guys, I got to get upstairs. I got to get my champion's head right. And uh, he went up there and uh, I take that back. It was before the rematch with Rockman is what it was. Rematch with Rockman because he had lost the first fight and they were doing the rematch. And, uh, he's like, I got to get my champion's head. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously Lennox Lewis came out and did his business. The point I'm making is in Derek James or whoever Anthony Joshua chooses, he needs a trainer that can help him deal with whatever mental focus he needs for the fight or to be prepared the right, be prepared the right way as, as he does somebody that's going to be able to give him the X's and O's. And, and, you know, you don't really have to worry about Anthony being in great condition. He always looks like he's in great shape. He's built like a, you know, like a, like a, a wall. So that's not the issue. Uh, and it's it's going to be up to him. I mean, you can you can bring the horse to water, but you you, you can't make him drink. It's got to there be something he does on his own. Uh, I don't know if a sports psychologist would help him, but you know he needs to to seize this. And if it means t- changing trainers again, so be it. Quick answer: Could he ever end up in the short term back with McCracken,
1: where he gets back with that guy because that's how it all started? With the rise, all starting. Do you hear rumblings about that, or is that a? No, I don't hear rumblings. About are they are they mad at each other? What do we no. know? I, I mean, he dropped him, and he was with him from the time he was like a teenager, and he dropped yeah.
0: him before the last Usick fight. My my impression of that is that there's no that there wasn't like a horribly negative falling out that that I think he still you know loves and appreciates everything that Rob did for him, and uh, you never say never in this game. It's not yep. out of the question, but at this moment in time, it's it's clearly not the right match for him and and uh, McCracken. will work with other guys, but Rob's a really good guy. Rob was integral in, in, in helping him get to where he was, both as a gold medal winner in the Olympics, as well as to uh, become a, a two-time unified champion in the in the pro ranks. Uh, you know, I don't think it was a, a, a terrible, terrible falling out. I hope it wasn't. But, you know, sometimes you just outgrow guys. I mean, you know, people get divorced. People find new relationships in, uh, you know, in, in boxing. If the fighter is not satisfied with who's in his ear or in, in the gym with him every day, he has to make a change, whether whether we like it or not. It's it's really the only one that matters, is the boxer. But and,
1: and now we're going to move on. Now he's making another change, and so we'll see who that is, and we'll see if this was, helps. Let's see
0: if it he's helps. Listen, TJ, he's not the first guy to make multiple trainer changes, I, and he's not the last. And I mean, look, Oscar De La Hoya was is a Hall of Fame boxer, mm-hmm. had an incredibly uh, lucrative and uh, and highly decorated career as a, as a Hall of Famer. Now, won an Olympic gold medal, also just like Josh did. The joke back in the day was Oscar, you know, in the later years would change trainers like, you know, you'd change your socks. Mm -hmm. Sugar Ray Leonard kept kept
1: moving people in and out. Give me five bonus points for knowing that. Got rid of Angelo Dundee, never came back to him. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, let's just see on Joshua because there's a lot of concerns about mentally – What's going on? Can somebody get him right? Like what you were talking about. All right. Before we get to the top ranked fights, which we're about to get to, the uh BWAA, the Boxing Writers Association of America, officially unveiled their awards. You helped nominate, you helped vote. Uh, you wrote about this. We won't go over all of it, but Dimitri Bivol is the fighter of the year. The uh the knockout by Lee Wood of
0: Michael Conlin that you referenced is the knockout of the year. Give me some. No, no, more. No, no. Not Lee Wood, the, the BWA. We do not do a uh, and I'm a member. I've been a member for many, many years. We I I did my knockouts of the year, and I picked it as the knockout. You year. picked that the, one, okay? The BWA, the award that we give out is called the uh, uh, appropriately called the Muhammad Ali Joe Frazier Fight of the Year Award. And Michael Conlin's knockout loss and Lee Wood's victory in that fight was voted by the membership. Probably about a hundred members that vote on it was voted as the fight of the year. So B-Vol as the Fighter of the Year and and uh, Lee Wood Conlin as the Fight of the Year. And of all the awards that we that we gave out on that ballot, uh, eight different awards. And as I've said before, the women's awards and some other special awards to the Nat Fleischer winner, those are given by separate committees. But the general membership awards, eight of them, I voted for everybody that won. My only one that I didn't vote for uh, that was the winner was Michael Collin and Lee Wood. My vote on the fight of the year was Hector Flores and that great battle with uh, Nanshinga for the junior flyweight title. I just feel like a lot of people may not have watched that fight, but that's my. You turned
1: on. me on to that fight. That's his own fight. Her. Yes, yes. Ter- it was a tremendous, tremendous fight. And I like the fact that you stood but up I, for that one. All I right. can't
0: argue with Wood Conlon. It was a great fight, also. So congratulations to them. And then again, as I mentioned, Derek James. He won, uh, deservedly so, uh, the Eddie Futch Trainer of the Year Award. Obviously, his year was made by the fact that he had uh, Charlotte become the undisputed champion as the 154 uh, pounder. And Errol Spence unified further to get three titles unified at the welterweight division. He also was the, the trainer for the excellent up and comer Frank Martin, who won a big fight at the end of the year against Michelle Rivera. So he was a worthy winner. The manager of the year, the custom auto manager of the year award went to Peter Kahn, who uh, is known for uh, he was fired by George Cambosas uh, because he had a George didn't want to pay Peter what he should have paid him. So, uh, but Peter had negotiated that contract that paid uh, Cambosas the biggest money he ever made after the T. Themo lopez victor he also helped engineer that purse bid uh that led to a big payday for the lopez fight that was the previous year obviously but in 2022 he got him the huge payday and two home fights in australia and the terms of the second fight were part of the first fight contract so he made crazy money for two losses that were at home he also has got his young junior well junior middleweight prospect xander zayas making six figures and sponsorship money outside the ring so good for him on that and he has some other fighters he works with he got emmanuel tago you know, an obscure, unknown fighter from Africa, a career payday to, to be a opponent earlier in 2022 against Ryan Garcia. Uh, you know, so Peter did what he did, what he's supposed to do. I mean, people make the mistake. And I've said this before. Manager of the year is not about what you are in fighter and, and trainer of the year. Those awards are based on what have you done in the ring? What are your guys done? Did they win or did they lose? The manager of the year, Peter deserves it, even though his top guy lost two fights. You know why? Because he made him the money. It's about putting your guy in the best position from the business point of view, from the, the, uh, the point of view of what can you generate, what can you make, what can you put in your pocket. And he did that for George Cambosas, and he's been doing it uh, for Zayas and, and for Tago. And by the way, I should also mention he is the manager for uh, uh, Franchon uh, Cruz, who be uh, Desern, who became the undisputed women's super middleweight champion, making her biggest payday. So Peter's taking care of business. He had a hell of a year. All right, good stuff on the awards. By the way,
1: you mentioned Errol Spence. Can we just, for a couple of moments, can you help me here? Are we are we waiting on an Errol Spence fight with Keith Thurman that's not even going to be a welterweight world title fight now? Tell yes. me that's, tell, you said yes way too quick. I was about to say, tell me that that's not the case. And you just said yes. Could. You're telling me yes, that we're going to wait until April or May, and it's not even going to be a unified title defense. It's going to be at a catch weight. What are we doing here, Dan? I'm asking on behalf of the boxing world. Incredulously, I love that word right now in 2023. What are boxing we doing here? What are we
0: doing here? Let me let me be very clear. So listen closely, yes. and all the listeners out there, I I love boxing. I have made my living in boxing for more than 20 years. 23 years uh, later this month, um, I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm I'm a lifer. You know, I'm done. I'm. I'm this is where I'm at. Uh, I'm gonna live and die as a boxing guy, and the immortal words of my good friend uh, Conor McGregor. But boxing is a pathetic fucking joke sometimes, and the fact that these guys would fight this fight as a non-title fight is a fucking pathetic joke. I don't. And get the it. reason is because they went through a lot of, of 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 smoke and mirrors and bullshit and games to get Keith Thurman the mandatory from the WBC. At the convention that took place in November, the WBC mandated that Keith Thurman is Errol Spence's mandatory challenger Mm -hmm. in the welterweight division. The WBA went along with it, so much to the point that they refused to acknowledge or order and force him to fight the regular champion, which is Amantus Stanionis. They allowed that to go by the way, not by the wayside, but to put it off, even though it goes against their specific Mm -hmm. direct Policy of ordering the regular champions and the super champions to fight, so they're playing games and now they're playing more games because they're going to let them fight in a non a title fight. There is no title at junior middleweight, anyway, there's no secondary titles. And Charlotte's why can these champion. guys
1: not make 147 in three or four months? I'm not asking you to answer for them, I'm asking rhetorically, why can they not make I 147? I mean, I don't, I don't get
0: that. It, it first of all. About five years ago or four years ago, Spence versus Thurman would have been a very intriguing, interesting fight as a title fight. You know, mm-hmm. whether it was when Errol was first had won his title or back when Keith Thurman was the unified champion and, and was uh, was going strong and was fighting everybody, but wouldn't fight Errol Spence, wouldn't even mention his name. I remember being at a press conference in Brooklyn where they were both there because I don't know if they had fought on the same card or maybe Errol was just in attendance. In any event, you know, they were bickering back and forth and, you know, arrow was like, you know, basically uh, I'm paraphrasing, you know, Keith, go fuck yourself. I'll never give you a shot when I'm champion. Uh, well, <laughs> times change. Uh, the Crawford fight wasn't able to be made and he's looking for a solid name opponent. Keith Thurman is not is a name opponent, but Keith Thurman hasn't won a big fight in years. And I like, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm a Keith Thurman fan. He's a great I'm guy. in the Tampa
1: Bay area. Keith's yeah, one of my guys. Him. He's in Clearwater. Exactly so. but, but the fact that it's Keith not for has a fought like two
0: fights in the last three plus years. It's very, very irritating and discouraging that these guys would finally hook up and that they're not going to put his title at stake. So, I, you know, and what it says to me is, listen, most of the time when guys move up, and I understand arrow has been, I won't say, struggling to make 47, but it's not like easy like it was like years ago. I mean, you get to the point where you don't want to suffer to make that last couple pounds. I'm not quarreling with that. The problem here is this. Once you go to 54, the chances of him coming back seem much less. And that means that if he fights Crawford ever, maybe he would have to be at 154. And now there goes the opportunity for the undisputed welterweight championship, which is what the whole fucking fight was all about in the first place. I'm with we you. we move on? I'm sick of this fucking topic.
1: I think that we can. And you may have set a record for the F word of the first 30 minutes of the podcast. We will continue. <laughs> we will get to a bus Shaw and the top ranked first card of 2023 with the heavyweights straight ahead. Now get off my lawn.
0: Back on Big Bite Weekend. Now here's your host, T.J. Reeves.
1: Back in once more. Dan Rayfield is still fuming over that whole thing. I'm sorry to bring that up last before the timeout, before the brief pause there, uh, but I, I can't get over why do we got to have a catchweight with Spence and Furman? Let's have it as a unified. World I don't. I don't even. Channel.
0: It's not. You can't even call it a catchweight.
1: Whatever it is. They're
0: both welterweights. It's not a catchweight. Uh, I'm with They're you. They're welterweights who are going to fight a junior middleweight. Uh, uh, it's not yeah, not a catchweight. All right. A catchweight, so people know, is when one guy is one weight and the other guy is another weight and they find someplace in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah. They're not meeting in the middle. Keith Thurman's last fight was a welterweight fight, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and now, you're correct. And now uh, Errol Spence is the champion, you know, one of the champions in the welterweight division. So it's not a catchweight. They're just I'm electing to do an over the weight fight. And also, right. it's kind of the same thing. You know if if in fact it ever happens, if if Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia link up. Now, Ryan has had his last two fights in the junior welterweight division, or at Correct. least close to the 140-pound limit, but he's been essentially a career-long lightweight. Javante Davis is a secondary title holder in the lightweight division, and Davis is willing to fight Ryan at 136 pounds. So Ryan is willing to come all the way down to 136, but won't go down one more pound. Now, granted, it's not the real title, so I get that, but and that whole thing is very unusual to me anyway. It'll be like one of the biggest non-title fights of recent times if the fight comes off. But this fight should be for the welterweight <laughs> titles that Keith Thurman has. He's the mandatory challenger. It's not like they got to struggle to get him ranked or anything like that. The WBA gave its blessing. The WBC has him as the mandatory. It, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. Anyway, I'm uh, with him. here All we right. go
1: again. Let's move on. Uh, Top-ranked boxing, first card of 2023 as we keep building it up. Heavyweights, F.A. Jogba, the Nigerian Olympian, big punch, fighting an American uh, who steps up big time here in a main event on ESPN and Stefan Shaw. That's the main event. Uh, And then an interesting co-feature fight as well. ESPN will televise Saturday night. Uh, Give me more here, my friend, on the main event and the co-feature Go.
0: Well, I think the main event is an awfully interesting fight. First of all, heavyweights, people like heavyweights. It's uh, As you mentioned, it's the, the kickoff card for top rank in 2023. And uh, uh, if people remember, it wasn't that long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, when it was everything was set to go, it was supposed to be a jogba against Oscar Rivas, who had been a longtime heavyweight contender, who decided uh, when the WBC created the 224-pound Bridgerweight division, he decided to go to that weight class and fight for the WBC and ended up becoming their inaugural WBC Bridgerweight champion. He won that title, uh, but he has had a hard time because of a variety of different reasons of getting his first defense hooked up. He was supposed to be doing that in Colombia, So if now fast forward, when that got kind of skewed and they couldn't do it, uh, and he was waiting to get it set up for later in 2023, he took the opportunity to say, I'll go back to heavyweight in a non-title fight, not risk my Bridgerway title, and I'll fight a Jogba as, as a heavyweight. And then he suffered a detached retina, which uh, caused him to be put into recess for the Bridgerway title, and he's now on the shelf with a potentially career-ending uh, injury, hopefully not the case. But in any event, uh, they needed a new opponent for a Jogba, so they reached down into the co-feature, and Stefan Shaw, as you mentioned, who was 18-0, and 0, was due to fight uh, the Italian Olympian Guido Vianello, who was a top-ranked fighter, was 10-0 and 0 with a draw, that Was supposed to be the co feature. They move Shaw up from that co feature and now have him fighting against a Jogba to replace Revis. I happen to think that it's a more interesting fight than it would have been if it was a Jogba versus Revis. There's more at stake, it feels like, because with Revis, not to say he was going to necessarily lose, but he was there was nothing for him to lose. If he loses the fight, it's it's not good for him, but he's still the Bridgerway champion. He's an older fighter, it didn't really have a lot of meaning. Now you have a Jogba and Shaw who are, you know, still on the heavyweight landscape on the younger end of things, Shaw, I think is just 30 years old. The job was 28, the Shaw's undefeated. The one loss that Jagba has is certainly a fair, giveable loss. He was outboxed by the very talented Frank Sanchez, uh, you know, on the undercard of Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder, number three. So it feels like there's, they're more evenly matched in terms of where they are in their career. So it's a good, interesting matchup. Uh, and the question is, is it going to be, uh, is it going to be a Jaguar who's known for his big punching power? He's the bigger fighter, taller fighter. Uh, or is it going to be Shaw who, even though he's got a lot of knockouts is looked at as a little bit more of the, of the boxer, I think in this particular fight, he's been a little bit more active than a has, you know, uh, Shaw had three fights in 2022. He's coming off of a eight round decision against Rydell Booker, the, uh, uh, traveling journeyman and, uh, back in November, a jog had, uh, he had the, the Sanchez loss, but he's been quite inactive, uh, partially because he had, um, he had an elbows two he had surgery on both of his elbows at the same time earlier in, uh, in 2021 he had uh, uh, another surgery on his on his left arm so he's trying to get back in the groove and it's it's a tough fight for both guys it should be interesting i'm actually i, I don't think it's like fight of the year type material but it's a the winner of that fight's going to get an opportunity he's going places the and bet if the US loser puts line. up a good enough battle a good enough battle the loser is
1: not out of business either got gotcha you on that the bet us line has this thing almost even we'll talk more about it on friday a plug for our bet us a video show that's on their platforms on their YouTube channel, uh, with Stefan Shaw being the slight favorite. How about that? Minus 155, a jogba plus 125. So, basically, an even 50 50 fight with an over under of eight and a half rounds. So, the odds makers looking to try to get some action on both fighters, have it a basically even fight. A jogba again has eight first round knockouts to his credit. So, let's see what kind of big punch he has. He's a, he's a very he good punch. Have. Yeah, let's
0: see what he has. here. In the other fight on the card I mentioned, which is the Vianello now against the new opponent that's replacing Shaw, is uh, a fighter named Jonathan Rice. Now, Vianello, as I mentioned, he's an undefeated fighter. He's got the one draw. He was an Italian Olympian. Uh, He fought in Italy in his last fight a few months ago, so he's not like coming off some super long, uh, ridiculous layoff like some guys are. He fought that fight over in Italy. That was back in October, so not a long layoff for him. But Johnny Rice, who's 15-6-1, you look at that record like, oh, that's not a very good record. He's got 10 knockouts, been knocked out two times. Johnny Rice is no easy task, in my opinion. This is actually, in my mind, when I look at Guido Vianello's record, in my mind, he's definitely the best opponent that Guido has ever faced as a professional. So the thing that that uh, that Johnny Rice has going for him is, in his most recent two fights that took place in 2022, so he's coming off about a one-year layoff, and then he had another fight before that in July of 2021. Both of them were against Michael Coffey, who at the time, when they met the first time, was an undefeated 12-0 fighter that PBC had a lot of hopes for, who had got a late start. He was in his thirties, but he was he had been in the in the military. But yep. he looked good. And uh he was a big favorite. And he got he got knocked out in the fifth round, uh, in a big upset by Johnny Rice. And then they came back and they did the rematch. That was the, the fight that was last January. And even though he didn't get stopped, he lost a decision, uh a pretty clear decision. So so Coffee, you know, he had his undefeated record room, but Mike, but uh, Johnny Rice got two big wins in a row. And Johnny Rice also has faced other fighters. He went the 10 round distance with a jogba in 2020 mm-hmm. we've mentioned on this show demsey McKean from australia he went into the 10th round and got stopped by him back in 2020 also he's also fought Stefan shaw back in a six rounder earlier in his career you know he went the distance in a six rounder against tony yoko who had won uh, the the gold medal in the olympics uh, two olympics ago in 2016 so he's an experienced guy in the pros he's got the two wins over over uh, coffee i think he's going to give kweto a tough fight i mean i can't tell you who's going to win but it's, it's from the competition standpoint, both the main event and the co-feature to me seem like they're worth watching, especially if you're a heavyweight uh, fan. And the
1: odds again from BetUS reflect what you just said. Basically a 50-50 fight, Rice even the slight favorite as the replacement opponent, minus 135, Vianello plus 105. So basically a 50-50 fight under over eight and a half rounds. Hey, for Vianello, because this is where we rely on you, Mighty One, does he remind you of anyone? does he have some hand speed is he is he more of just an upright and at times we see robotic kind of european fighter
0: he's he's not quite he's not quite that robotic but he is a very much a stand-up european european style boxer he's got good size he's six foot six maybe six foot six Mm. and a half he weighs in the 240s so he's solid you know he's in pretty good shape uh he has spent a lot of time training and living in the united states so it's not like he's traveling you know, he fought at home in Italy in his last fight. But all of his professional fights, other than that one match, have all been in the United States. So he's been based out, uh, you know, in the United States. So he's sparring here and training. He's here. been so sparring.
1: Did he spar with Tyson Fury at one point, too, in Las Vegas? Maybe I have that wrong. But he's been training out of top ranks, stable and uh, fighters and stuff out of Las Vegas. Right? I do Dianella. believe. Yeah.
0: At one point, he. I maybe I'm wrong about this. I think fight. he no, did.
1: I think I'm he did. I'm pretty sure. If we're he wrong, did. blame me. Don't blame Rayfield. No, if we're I think wrong, he, did, but I think he did.
0: Not for recent, not for the recent fights. Yeah, right. not against, not the Chisora fight or the the Dillian White fight. But I do believe that for at least one of the Deontay fights, that Vianello was uh, in the camp. He's he's changed some trainers. You know, he's been around looking for some stability. Uh, and this is an opportunity. It's his first time being in a co-feature uh, on national television. You know, he's got a chance against uh, again, not a great fighter in Rice, but a guy that, again, my estimation. Uh, That in terms of you look at his record, this is a step up for him. So we'll see if uh, he can pass what is should be at least a moderate test. And by the way, I still remember
1: that upset of coffee because everything was set up. That was like a military appreciation night thing they were doing with coffee undefeated. He was featured. Johnny Rice was an afterthought and Johnny Rice dominated him and stopped him. I don't know if that's going to happen Saturday, but now we at least have some intrigue that it could happen because rice has got a decent punch it could happen so we'll watch on that and again we'll make some more predictions on the bet us show before we're out of here on this preview a couple of birthdays an anniversary of a big time fight some big time heavyweights speaking of heavyweights birthday anniversaries including uh george foreman still living and the late smoking joe frazier would have been what 79 years old smoking joe would have been
0: go ahead yeah i mean uh, on tuesday big george 74 years old on Thursday, it would have been the 79th birthday for the great Joe Frazier. Obviously, they fought two times, but were among the leading uh, heavyweights of their era in the 1970s. And i am tell you, January is a busy month for top birthdays because we're going to have Muhammad Ali's birthday coming up, Oscar Hoya's mm-hmm. birthday coming up, uh, Bernard uh, Bernard Hopkins' birthday coming up. It's a, it's a busy month for birthdays. But, uh, you know, when I think about Big George, I'm so glad he's still here. Uh, you know, Ali has passed. Uh, um, Joe Frazier has passed. And uh, George Foreman was the third of that that group of guys. That if you want to count Kenny Norton, who also fought uh, uh, in a lot of those big fights, Kenny died, you know, a few years ago. You know, George is the last one of the, of those big names, and uh, he's a treasure. George is one of the great heavyweights of all time. He's a he's a great guy. Uh, I don't know him as well as I know some other people I've gotten to know over the years, but I do know George a bit. Um, and he's as he keeps it as real as there is. I mean, he he changed from you know in his first uh, incarnation as a surly nasty yep. stoic uh look at you like he could you know throw daggers through you uh and when he came back he was the, the the fat jolly guy selling hamburgers and asking you know what what you know i heard a great story one time when he was getting ready for the michael moore fight or maybe it was the Holy one of the one of the fights maybe it was either michael moore or the Evander fight when he fought him you know he was never known as a guy that loved the press but he learned that if you want to sell yourself and, mm-hmm. and and the media guys weren't so bad, they were just looking for a good story. Like he would come to the media center. I think it might've been the Michael Moore fight. What, what do you guys need? What can I give you? Like he would just come up to the writers and be like, and he would sit there and just t- chat. And, and I'm sure and, for a lot of the old school ones, they went, excuse me, who are you? Did yeah, you get exactly, replaced so. by an alien? You want our help now, or you want to but help I, us? I have to say though, the, the thing, one of the things that is so remarkable that Big George, and it, it will probably never be challenged, and certainly maybe not in as dramatic, uh, Of a way, this man won the heavyweight championship against Joe Frazier in one of the most famous. Mm -hmm. It became one of the most famous fights in boxing, not only because he became heavyweight champ, but because of the famous call by Howard Cosell: "Down goes Frazier." You know, he knocked him down six times, stopped him in the second round, became heavyweight champion in 1973 in Kingston, Jamaica. There you go. And I've always
1: heard, and you love this line: "He bounced Joe Frazier like a basketball in that ring in Kingston, Jamaica, over and (laughs) over and over again." Keep going.
0: They called it the Sunshine Showdown. Anyway, he held the title for a few, a couple of years. He lost the title, obviously, uh, in the big upset to Ali by knockout in the Rumble in the Jungle. And then when he made his comeback, he got another chance to fight for the title against Holyfield. He lost in a WBO title. And that was a great fight, by the way, even though he lost. He lost in a world, uh, if at the time, it wasn't really considered a legitimate title fight. It was a WBO back in the early 90s when it was really considered a no, no class dealt. Um, but still he fought and he lost that fight to Tommy Morrison. And then George was older. He was 45 years old, still kind of trying to make a go of things basically begged and pleaded and ultimately got, uh, with Seth Abraham, then the president of uh, HBO sports. Now, uh, thank God going to be inducted into the hall of fame in June, like he deserves got, him to sign off on giving allowing HBO to televise a chance for him to fight Michael Moore, who had beaten Evander Holyfield for the title. It was going to be Michael's first title defense. And uh, said to Abraham, Green lit that fight. Uh, and he, he he did the unthinkable. He knocked, he was getting his ass kicked, and with one right hand down the middle, and the famous call, the all time great call by Jim Lampley, it happened. It happened. It happened. It yeah. happened. He knocked him out at the MGM Grand. Uh, George turned to the corner and knelt in prayer. And uh, it was one of the most remarkable things in the history of boxing. And what I, got so- oh, I got right. a nugget for oh, you. I got a nugget. I'll go ahead, finish it. What makes it so amazing is that that knockout victory that Big George scored that night, A, he was wearing the same trunks that he had worn against Muhammad Ali in the loss in the Rumble in the jungle.
1: That's right. And more significantly,
0: nugget. the most amazing thing is it was 20 years to the day, almost to the day, 20 years, almost to the day of that fight. That he regained the title. And as Big George said after that, that he had put the demons behind him of what had taken place in Africa 20 years earlier. What sport does somebody come back and win a big time thing like that 20 years later? You know, pick your favorite golfer, pick your favorite tennis player, pick your pick your favorite basketball player. Has there ever been 20 years between them winning the championships of their respective
1: sport. The only thing that I'm going with right now is my Buccaneers and Tom Brady still winning Super Bowls 20 years later. But the difference is Tom
0: has been doing it consistently. Right. He he didn't retire.
1: He didn't retire. George was awesome.
0: He was done for 10 years.
1: But back to my nugget. Joe Cortez was on this podcast, the legendary referee. He was the man in the ring that night, counting 10 over Michael Moore. And he told the story. I said, listen, uh, you know, you have to be objective. You have to be impartial but when that knockdown happened did part of you for just a second go wait a minute he just knocked him down and he said not at that second he goes but when i was counting over him he goes i kind of looked over in the corner at george and i looked at more not getting up i'm paraphrasing here uh, and joe cortez said to us i knew uh, th- this th- this is stunning it is it is amazing and i counted 8 9 Tan and i pointed over at george foreman and said i am part of history when when, that's what joe said to us on the podcast i'm part of history i just counted out michael moore and george foreman's the oldest heavyweight champion of all time
0: so it's one of the most remarkable things in boxing for a man to take the legitimate title from the linear champion by knockout by devastating knockout twice 20 years apart he didn't win a vacant title. He didn't fight some cherry pick guy for a belt. Joe Frazier was the champion and had the uh you know two of the titles. Michael was obviously had beaten Holyfield that become the, you know, the the unified champion as well. There was no uh doubt in anybody's mind who was the real champion going into those fights. And there sure as heck was no uh, a dispute about who was the champion coming out because he didn't do it by going to the scorecards. He did it in devastating knockout fashion. And uh, happy love birthday it. to Big George, one of the love great, it. one of the great ambassadors for boxing of all time.
1: And love the Foreman Grill for many years on making. Everybody food. has a
0: Foreman Grill. Uh,
1: yes, and I had two of them. Don't have one anymore, but had them for two years. And George made millions. Uh, and you had one more fight anniversary that you are regarding, by the way, as maybe the one of the top two that you've ever seen in person. No, 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 no. Give it to
0: me. The fight anniversary, which is on uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Was not a fight that I that it was one of the great fights of all time, but it involved one of my favorite fighters of all time, ah. which is Acelino Popo Freitas, one of the <laughs> legends of Brazilian boxing. Say that uh, again. Acelino Popo Freitas. Thank you. He was the uh WBO champion uh in the junior lightweight division. He went on later in his career, became the WBO champion in the lightweight division. But uh this is the 21st anniversary of his very his most significant victory of his career where he won a, uh, he scored a knockdown and won a decision against uh, Joel Casamayor. They were both undefeated at the time. I, I, I'm trying to let's set the stage for a minute. Cause you kind of fucked up the intro there. The fact of the matter is in the early two thousands, the junior lightweight division was as hot as the firecracker. It was a great division it had very, very big names and stars who were all undefeated at the top of the weight class. You had Floyd Mayweather, who then was still everybody knew as Floyd Mayweather, junior Heard Pretty of him. boy, Floyd Mayweather, junior, And you had Diego Chico Corrales. Heard of him. Floyd Floyd was the WBC champion. Corrales was the IBF champion. They were both with HBO and they had a big time fight in uh, 2001, January. It was the first fight I ever covered at the MGM. Same location where Big George scored that big knockout against Michael Moore. Diego had ended up giving up the IBF title for political reasons to, to facilitate that fight. But nonetheless, they were they were both undefeated and it was a big time fight and they fought and Floyd obviously won and over on the rival Showtime network back when there was the two universes and it was Showtime and HBO, you had Joel Casamayor who was undefeated and the WBA champion. And you had a Asselino Popo Freitas who was undefeated and one of the biggest punchers in boxing, who was the WBO champion and they finally had their fight together and, and Asselino Freitas scored a very big win. Uh, He is, as I've said numerous times forever and ever, he is my all-time favorite fighter, not named Arturo Gatti. I love Freitas. Um, I named my cat after one of my cats after Asalino Freitas, who has since passed on. We called him Popo. And uh, <laughs> it that. was a, it was, and it's a really good fight. I mean, and I it, I feel like our generation, uh, the the younger fans today. Again, I'm not going back that long. It's only 20 years ago. It's not like it's 100 years ago. Uh, they don't know those fights and those fighters as well as they should. And I encourage them to take a look, look it up on the internet, go on on YouTube and check it out. And uh, it's a really good fight. I mean, when Popo Freitas finished off that fight, he was like, I believe he was 31 and 0 with 29 knockouts. And uh, he was one of the most significant fighters in the business. I mean, he had a big uh, contract with with uh, Showtime. He he made number of defenses after that. Had that phenomenal fight with uh, Jorge Barrios where they, uh, you know, went back and forth for, for 10, you know, the, the whole fight. And he had uh, Barrios wiping his bloody face off on the referee's arm. But yeah, I mean, he was 31 and zero with 20, 29 knockouts guys get to that record day. They'd all be proclaiming them pound for pound. That's why you need to have the you need to let things kind of settle a little bit before you can make that pronouncement. Now, Freitas may not have gone on to be the greatest fighter of all time, but he had a hell of a career. He beat a tremendous fighter in Casimir, who was a gold medal winner in the Olympics and so won his own share of big time fights against also had a great rivalry with Corrales and won titles in multiple weight classes. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it because it was the anniversary. It's one of my favorite fights. Uh, one of my favorite fighters and you know, it's, uh, I busted out my poster and posted a picture of it and I need people to go check that out and remember, uh, that, that life existed in the lightweight, in the junior lightweight division before 2022 and 2023. Love that. Love all of that. By the way, Cheeto Trinidad, 50 years old this week as well. Another nugget. Another one. Yeah, absolutely. Cheeto Trinidad. I forgot about that because I was posting pictures of uh, programs and posters i had of uh, of the of the great Tito trinidad you were talking about the january birthdays how
1: about that felix
0: trinidad for my money was probably as much of a joy to cover as anybody i've ever covered in my entire career because every single time he fought he fought with such a joy he's like i cannot wait to go to work he always had a smile on his face he was pleasant with the media now, he was a little bit of a sore loser. There were times where he lost fights and he would not come to the press conference because he was sulking. He wasn't injured. He wasn't like going to the hospital or anything. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I respect it if you're going to get stitched up, but he just was uh, uh, kind of annoyed about losing, so he decided not to talk about it. But that's his prerogative. But in terms of as just a human being, as a, somebody to deal with, Tito Trinidad, a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to, to cover. And who else made fight in and fight out you knew other than the Oscar fight? which I did not cover because it was right before I started. But the handful of Tito fights I did cover, you, know, you got you got your money's worth. He was a big puncher. Some of the great atmospheres of all time that I have been in for fights, whether it was him against William Joppy when he won the middleweight belt at Madison Square Garden. I still to this day can hear those air horns going off in my mind. Uh, the Bernard Hopkins fight, even though he lost with the atmosphere there, it was a little weird because it was the first sporting event in New York after nine eleven, so it was a little bit – more downplayed, but he brought a tear to everybody's eye when he walked into the ring, wearing the, uh, the, uh, the police, uh, the NYPD uh, hat. Um, I love Felix Trinidad and he's 50 years old and it makes me feel old also, but God bless him.
1: We're getting to be old men. My, one of my faves is Ronald Winky, Wright from St. Pete and Winky dominated Trinidad. As you know, you were probably there at ringside. Uh, I was. Uh, that, that night. Uh, I still have a friend. I've told the story on this podcast before in the nostalgia part of it. Fans love the nostalgia. I know we've gone a little long on this, one, but it's good nostalgia stuff. The friend was in San Juan, Puerto Rico that night, and they had tens of thousands of people out in the streets watching these massive TVs with the Puerto Rican flags waving. And by like the sixth round, half the crowd had thinned out and thrown their flags down. And by the 10th round, there was about 15 people standing around holding out hope that Tito was going to get a knockout, it wasn't coming because my man Winky Wright put on a tremendous boxing I what I, performance
0: and defensive I, performance. I think what I wrote that night when he fought, uh, when he, when Winky fought Felix Trinidad is that he 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 laid so many jabs on Trinidad's face that it was like he made his head like literally for 12 rounds like a bobblehead. Just he could not miss with the jab. <laughs> and he, it was, and remember Felix Trinidad for that fight was coming out of a retirement and the fact that he even was willing to fight him. Remember, Winky was a guy that nobody wanted to fight. So I always had, you know, he may not have won the fight, but I always had huge respect for Felix Trinidad. Agreed. For his, for his willingness to not only fight like a top guy coming out of a retirement. Uh, I, actually, he had come out of the retirement to fight before against Mayorga, and he had taken a little bit of time off. It wasn't that long of a break. Uh, it was like six or seven months. So it was the second fight of the comeback that he did against Winky. But even still, there's a big difference going against a Majorga who's standing right in front of you and you're just beating the shit out of him in a good, fun fight compared to now fighting uh, Winky Wright, who was the consummate boxer and uh, and left-handed and a mover and great defense and really could do everything other than maybe not be a big puncher. And uh, But he was fearless about that. And, I mean, he always wanted to, to fight the best guys. There's the story. I'll tell you a real quick story. When he came to HBO after the David Reed fight in 2000, They had had meetings about what he's going to do. He was signing a big contract with HBO, and they had a game plan. They didn't just say, we'll sign you, and we'll figure out your fights later. The plan was, we're going to do the mandatory defense of your 154 title that you won from David Reed against Mamadou Tiam. He wanted to do a unification fight against Fernando Vargas, which was a mega fight. And then they wanted to go to middleweight, conquer the middleweight division. And then, now, they're talking about this at a meeting. I wrote about this, actually, in a Ring Magazine story. Was about There was a tribute to Felix Trinidad, and my, my story uh, in that piece was his evolution to 100, his, his brief but terrorizing uh, brief stay at Junior Middleweight. And the executives at HBO and Don King are having a meeting at the HBO offices, and everybody's gathered around, and it's Tito Trinidad and his lawyer and his father, uh, Papa Trinidad, and it's uh, Kerry Davis, who was one of the senior vice presidents, and it's, uh, and it's Ross Greenberg, and, and or I take it back, it's uh, Seth Abraham. And they're, they're, they're working out all the particulars on what they're going to do uh, with the career of Felix Trinidad. And it's the lawyer, Peter Mazarski. And Papa Trinidad is now, ha- as it's explained to me, the way that the thing unfolded is Papa's got the floor and he's talking and he's going on and on in Spanish about what they want to do. But every now and then, uh, Terry Davis tells the story that he's sitting with Mazarski and he's speaking uh, to Papa Trinidad in Spanish. And he, every now and then he's me and he'd say you know, mama do. And he's like, okay, now he knows he wants to fight the mandatory. And then he would say a few more words in Spanish. And he says, Fernando Vargas. He's like, oh, wow, we're going to get the Fernando Vargas fight. Then he would go along. And then he would talk about Bernard Hopkins. You know, oh, he wants to go to middleweight. Okay. And then he says at the end, he's like, and Jones and Kerry tells the story about how he turned to Peter Mazarski says, Jones, is there a Jones in the middleweight division? And Mazarski says, no, I think he means Roy Jones. (laughs) And Kerry was like, oh shit, this is a different kind of cat. Roy Jones at that time was the pound-for-pound king, and he was the dominating figure, and he was a fighting uh, champion at light heavyweight. So Trinidad wanted, as they say, as the young kids say today, he wanted all the smoke. And he didn't get it the way that they planned it out because he obviously got beat by Hopkins. And then later, for his final fight, he came out of yet another retirement and uh, got his rear end kicked by Roy Jones in his last fight in what was, for no apparent reason, a mega fight because both guys were way beyond their best, but they were big stars, and they filled up Madison Square Garden that night for the old man fight and uh, and uh, Roy Jones won, but Tito he finally got that fight with Roy Jones. It was just a few years after they were they were thinking. But Felix Trinidad, fifty years old this week, one of the all time greats at welterweight, won a title at junior middleweight at uh, middle at a uh, middleweight and junior middleweight, and just as I said, a pleasure to deal with. And uh, I think that story about how they were plotting out his plan after welterweight and into the junior middleweight and middleweight and higher shows you the kind of competitor he was. He wanted every top guy, and by the way, he fought most of them. You gave us a ton on this
1: podcast, by the way. Manuel Stewart stories, uh, giving us some news and some insight, some Tito Trinidad, some George Foreman, and we even previewed the top-ranked show, Saturday Night ESPN, A Ajagba Shaw, in the main event. We'll make some fight predictions on the BetUS Boxing Show. Find us Friday, 1 Eastern Time Live, or replay us on their YouTube channel, uh, their social media, Until Your Heart's Content, all weekend. With that, we're good for the preview. Dan Rayfield had a blast Great stuff. Enjoy the fights. We'll be reading you on the Fight Freaks Unite Substack and on BigFightWeekend.com in the preview mode and the recap mode. And then we'll be back to recap the weekend on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast as well. My friend, have a great weekend.
0: Thank you very much. See, you got me all started up with my various stories.
1: I love all of this, though. It's great stuff. They need to be following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify to the Big Fight Weekend Preview, usually out on Fridays. Recap Show, usually out on Mondays. We're here twice for you every weekend, peeps talking the boxing. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview.